Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmer's Day, November 2nd, 2020. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us how Disney is supposed to tie River Country into the Reflections DVC Resort. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that any room can be a panic room if you just give him a minute. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Panic? Len, who in their right mind after 2020 is going to panic? <laughs> I think it was just yesterday we had a hurricane and an ice storm that were like literally just miles apart. Sure. And then what was it? They found a tree full of murder hornets. There's that great George Carlin bit that he used to do where the sun did not come up this morning. Huge cracks have appeared in the Earth's surface and big rocks are falling out of the sky. Details at 11 at Action News Central. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, terrible things are happening. Big deal. I'm just uh, reminded of the uh, the line from Emperor's New Groove mm. where uh, David Spade says, bring it on. <laughs> That's basically my attitude to all of it now. There we go. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> All right, uh, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Coach Fitz, Spartan RN, and Mitchell1994. And longtime subscribers, MomTink3, Earthbird1, and Mio1003. Jim, these are the folks who tried to serve each guest a three-course meal on the old If You Had Wings attraction in Tomorrowland back in the 1970s, part of Disney's commitment to ultra-realism and an old simulated airplane attraction. But as we all know now, a microwave oven capable of cooking lobster thermidor in 30 seconds will also melt polyester pants at 50 feet. True story, Jim. True story. This explains so much for uh, the, the wardrobe found malfunctions I experienced at Walt Disney World <laughs> back in the 70s. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for clearing this up. <laughs> you know what we should do in this? We should serve meals. Yes, that's a fantastic idea. There we idea. go. All right, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, the big news is that we got specific notifications about entertainment layoffs at Walt Disney World. So just a quick recap of the shows that are dark for the foreseeable future. Festival of the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast live on stage. Voyage of the Little Mermaid, The Citizens of Hollywood, The Green Army Men, Finding Nemo the Musical, The Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, The Laugh Floor Comedy Club, The Citizens of Main Street, Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair, Hoop De Doo, Spirit of Aloha, and all of the seasonal and part-time character performers were let go. Jim, we knew that most of this was coming. Mm. It's still, some of it was still a surprise. Yeah. The tough part right now is we have a, a COVID resurgence happening in a lot of the country, yeah. and Disney is just staring down the barrel of the fact that when is this going to turn around? And it's just sort of right. like, uh, not anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, you've got at least more six more months of this, right? Yeah. yeah. And so this is just a hard reality. I mean, and, and again, I feel for all of these equity performers because yeah. some of them have worked for the company. For decades, and yeah. I'm just hoping that in six months' time, we see these folks back on the job. Given the news, this was not a surprise. So, A couple of things were mildly surprising to me. So I thought, you know, Indiana Jones and Beauty and the Beast might be workable in the current environment because they're outdoor 
stage shows and you can limit attendance to that. But what I wasn't considering at the time was all the stuff that happens backstage, yeah, yeah. like with costuming and rehearsals and all those people, mm-hmm. you know, standing around waiting to go on. And I'm not entirely sure that there's enough space back behind there for, uh, you know, to keep people safe. If you ever get backstage at any of these places, the space, I mean, don't get me wrong. Indiana Jones has acres of space, you know, because of the size of the thing, but there, there are still places where people gather in the wings and yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. It just, I got, you got to believe that like for places like Indiana Jones, which were built mm-hmm. 30 years ago, there's probably not a lot of backstage room to maneuver. No, no. Voyage of the Little Mermaid, not a surprise. Is that ever coming back? It's entirely dependent on the live action version of the Little Mermaid, which I'm told is going to f- finally get back in production in the next couple of weeks. Is that the one where Robert Robert Pattinson was uh, had COVID and they, they stopped filming that one? No, no, that, that's Batman. This is the one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's just kidding. Okay. You know, the, this yeah. is the one with Melissa McCarthy as, uh, as Ursula and was days away from starting in March and then shut down. But that's Rob Marshall, uh, the director of Mary Poppins Returns. So... The company is really hopeful that that is another one of their live action redos of 2D animated feature that does big business. And in turn, if it's a success, you would see a retooled version of the Voyage of the Little Mermaid pop up at the studios. But on the heels of Mulan seeming to misfire theatrically, I wouldn't necessarily count on that happening. So. And my sense is that we've seen the last of Spirit of Aloha mm. over at the Polynesian, not not because of the performers, mm. but I think that's some super valuable real estate. Yeah. And that they, Disney might be able to do uh, something other than a uh, once a night or twice a night dinner show mm-hmm. uh, on that particular set of property. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Tough news for those, uh, for those cast members, mm. but hopefully many of them will get rehired once things start to come back. News open. Speaking of uh, closures, Disneyland Paris announced uh, today, in fact, mm-hmm. that they're uh, going to reclose starting, well, I guess it starts Friday, so three days ago. Mm-hmm. Runs through December 18th. They're currently taking reservations for December 19th through January 3rd, and then they're going to close again January 4th through February 12th. Now, the January closure, I don't think is super surprising because that is traditionally mm-hmm. their slow season anyway, Jim, right? Yeah, but... Is it really lucrative enough to have the park close to the 18th, throw it open again from the 19th of January 3rd, and then... Two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Even with social distancing, even with limited capacity, that that, that makes financial sense? I think the January thing is just for business reasons. Like, it's it's always been their slow period, Mm -hmm. right? And so that might be the one the one time where they they're thinking the parks would just run at a loss. Mm -hmm. So why why do it? And they can they can do maintenance and things like that. Okay. All right. Speaking of uh, December, Disney World announced December hour increases. Mm -hmm. This is from our friends over at WW Magic. So uh, December 20th through December 30th, the following hours will apply. And uh, Jim, I think we we predicted this about a month ago, Mm -hmm. that based on what we were seeing in terms of attendance trends, we wouldn't be surprised if the parks were open much later. So uh, that seems to be true. Uh, Magic Kingdom runs 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. That's 14 hours. And we have seen Disney testing out some projections on the castle, I guess getting everything up and running there. Mm-hmm. Epcot goes 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., which is 11 hours. Animal Kingdom's open 12 hours, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And the studios right now is open for 11 hours, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Again, that's December 20th 
through December 30th. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit of an hour extension at the studios as well, maybe nine to nine or eight. That certainly makes sense. By the way, are are you tracking what's been going on at Universal Studios Florida, how they brought back their cinematic celebration? Celebration, right. Yeah, Yeah. and and they, they look like they pulled that off pretty well. This coming weekend, we have daylight savings time. Right. So spring forward, so it, it gets darker an hour earlier. and That's going to do wonders for my seasonal depression. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> seasonal depression, 2020, Len. Come on. You know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Remember then when that was my biggest problem, seasonal depression. <laughs> but here's Universal <laughs> using cinematic celebration, which again, now because it gets darker earlier, keep yeah. people in the park longer. So they're, they're shopping, yeah. they're dining, that sort of thing. What have you been hearing about Harmonious? I mean, they're still working on it. Uh, In fact, I was in Epcot last night Mm -hmm. and you could see them working on the boats until, I mean, they were there, they were there pretty late. They were still on the boats working like at 6 p.m. And this was one of those things where, you know, last night Mm -hmm. I was, it was like 5.30. Mm -hmm. I was finishing up uh, my last blog post of the day. Mm -hmm. I had my comfy, stretchy pants on. I was getting ready to order some Uber Eats, Mm -hmm. right? And then my sister called and and she was in Epcot and she's like, oh, you got to come over. We'll, um. We were doing some videos mm. and La Cava commented on a couple of uh, videos. So let's go have a drink at La Cava. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So it was 5.30. At 6 o'clock, mm-hmm. I was actually in Epcot, which tells you how close I live Woof. to the parks. Okay. So 5.30, you're in your stretchy pants getting ready to order dinner. Mm-hmm. And then at 6 o'clock, you find yourself with a tequila in your hand <laughs> in a bar in, uh, in the Mexico. Uh, That's my life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, they were working on Harmonious. What have, you, uh, what have you heard? The pressure is on. You keep hearing repeatedly about the Epcot situation where it gets dark and the park empties. And it's just, I mean, and did you encounter that at all last night coming back out of La Cava? Yeah. So by 7 o'clock, La Cava closed at 7 last night. Mm-hmm. And I left the park about eight. And by eight o'clock, there was a fairly steady exodus mm-hmm. out of the park. And it, it, the last couple of days in the parks, this is recording this on Thursday, the 29th. So the last couple of days, the 27th and the 28th of October, mm-hmm. have been some of the slowest days wait time-wise over the past month. Okay. If we look at this Christmas holiday week, December 20th through December 30th, and we see the Epcot hours stretching out till nine. And you know, you live in Florida now, and I know that you go back and forth from New York. So you still have some of that ragu-like New England blood. (laughs) Exactly. I'm always interested to deal with friends who've relocated from New England, and it's like, oh my God, it's 60 degrees. I need a sweater. So think about how cold it gets. (laughs) And you've got this park open till nine o'clock at night in the middle of the Christmas week. What I'm hearing from entertainment is one of the reasons you saw those crews working as late as you did is they're going to try to get Harmonious out on the water, at least in some form, in time for Christmas this year. Wow, that's bold. It is. Okay, and that would be good because that will bring in locals Mm -hmm. to see it, but they can hold off on Ratatouille, Mm -hmm. on Remy's uh, Ratatouille Adventure until 2021 and get the out-of-state people who come in for the new rides. Okay. Now, I have to caution you that what I'm hearing from entertainment, because management is pushing for this big time, entertainment is like, you want Rivers of Light 2? You can have Rivers of Light (laughs) 2. 
Okay. Valid point. Let's make sure all the technology works. Yeah. But they're talking, you know, if they can't get the full thing up out of the ground, some sort of holiday show or, you know, or holiday based show that could at least get the giant barge out in the water. Yeah. So we got almost two months until this, uh, until this needs to run. So we'll see. We'll see. Good luck. Good luck to them though. One other quick thing I wanted to note, uh, my friend uh, John, who does our hotel deals blog over on Touring Plans, uh, messaged me today to say that Priceline deals have Wilderness Lodge showing up around the week of Thanksgiving. And the Wilderness Lodge is closed, so that's mildly interesting. So let's keep an eye on that and see what happens. Hmm, okay. All right, Jim, let's do some, uh, some listener questions here. Uh, this one is from Ben, who says... Can you discuss what it might be like visiting Hollywood Studios midweek in December with kids ages 4, 12, 14, and 16? The older kids have been more than once, but our four-year-old last went and she wasn't yet two. We're definitely doing Magic Kingdom and are considering Hollywood Studios so we can see Galaxy's Edge, which none of us have experienced yet, and Toy Story Land for our youngest. The stories I'm seeing are ridiculous lines and low chance of scoring Rise of the Resistance boarding groups. Are the photos worse than the actual experience? And is it worth it right now for a family of six? It's almost $800 to add a second park day. All right. So a couple of things. Midweek in December, it depends. If it's, you know, midweek, the first couple of weeks of December, yeah, you should have fairly low crowds. You know, if it's midweek between December 20th and December you know, 30th, uh, lines, will be, lines will be higher. As with anything, you know, the studios has been opening around 40 to 45 minutes early. Ben, I would say make sure you're at the the entrance uh, or the parking lot no later than an hour before official opening and try that. And then to get a boarding group, your choices are if the uh, if you can get in line, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is usually running before park opening. You can be on and off of that if the park is opens 45 minutes before official time. And that would give you a chance to get a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance. I would say at this point, if you're there at 10 o'clock and you've got a bunch of people in your family, I imagine your 16-year-old, your 14-year-old have cell phones, have everybody get on their cell phone and try to get a boarding group. And as long as one of them gets it, you're, I'll be fine. That's a great suggestion. I, I hadn't thought yeah, of Yeah, I mean, 14-year-olds have phones, 16-year-olds have phones. I mean, bring iPads if you need to, mm-hmm. right? If they, they don't have their own phones. Mm-hmm. Give everybody the same uh, MDE account and then just you know bang on it. And I would say, you know, just to be safe, a couple of you should be on Disney Wi-Fi and a couple of you should be on cell phone service in case one network is running better than the other one. The, uh, the larger question, though, is, is it worth 800 bucks mm-hmm. to go to the studios right now? And this is a family of six. Family uh, of see, six. It'll be one, two, three, four. It should be six. Okay. So that's a like 135 per person. And again, you're at Walt Disney World and you're inside of a theme park, with, which again, doesn't have any of its live shows, but it's still the studios, which I love. Ooh, this is a hard call. Could you do that? That other day at Universal, go do Harry Potter, or this is the same time of year that SeaWorld does its amazing job with decorations and that sort of thing. That is a genuinely hard call. Yeah, I mean, so for 800 bucks, mm-hmm. could you do one day two park passes at Universal and do all the Harry Potter stuff? I think you'd need to plan in advance. Yeah, it might be it might be a little more than that. You yeah. Know? That's tough. It is. I mean, the studios has nine rides right now, mm-hmm. nine, nine things. And with the live shows down, I mean, that again, you know from, from all your years of doing touring plans, 10 is the magic yeah. number. And yeah. you got the cavalcades going through the park, but 
No citizens of Hollywood. Yeah, the dining isn't great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Rise of the Resistance. I think Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. I mean, I, I go on that literally mm-hmm. every time I'm in the studios. Okay. I think it's a great ride. Mm-hmm. There's not great dining in the studios, mm-hmm. and it's the $800. Mm-hmm. I would take the $800, and I would add on a couple of nights on my hotel and just hang out at the hotel. Because you... is like two nights at the poly. Let's face it. If you're renting points or Mm -hmm. why why not just stay at the poly Mm -hmm. even one more night and then have, you know, fantastic meals somewhere. Hmm. I just don't know that the studios right now is worth that extra $800. Just kind of breaks my heart that we actually have to have this conversation, but it's the hard reality of the moment. Yeah. I would, I would spend one extra day at my Disney hotel Mm -hmm. and just enjoy the resort. Instead, and you come out, you know, you'd come out ahead with that. Mm-hmm. That would probably be my thing. Okay. If it was like, you know, should we go to the Magic Kingdom for two days? There's enough to do in the Magic Kingdom. I could sort of, you know, I, maybe that's a different conversation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But for the studios, we're not quite mm-hmm. back there. Yeah, I would just stay, spend another night at the uh, at a nice hotel mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World. <laughs> and when you think this is a theme park that's been open since '89, and there's still only nine rides, it's <laughs> a whole lot of conversation. Man. Yeah. All right, here's a note from uh, from Cameron who says, uh, Jim mentioned the infrared shooting gallery guns while talking about Jimmy Carter running around Frontierland on a previous show. However, I believe in 1978, the shooting gallery guns were still shooting pellets. I know it's trivial, but my great uncle was a painter at Disneyland, and one of his jobs was to repaint the targets in the shooting gallery. I don't know how often this was, but my grandfather seemed to think it was every night. P.S., Thanks, Len, for the free soft drink on the last day of Mulch, Sweat, and Shears at Hollywood Studios. Killing me. Thank you, Cameron, for writing in because, you know, in fact, the Disney dish that Len and I are recording right after this is dealing with the Disney shooting gallery inspired attractions. You know, and in fact, I am holding in my hand a Disneyland line from April of 1985 where he's probably right about the infrared not being changed till later because this article is actually about when they first put digital in, they changed out the attraction to the point where when you hit the targets, there was now a CD-ROM inside of the attraction that would, okay, that's the sound of the ricochet when we hit the gravestone. And it took them two and a half years just to get that done. So I would imagine the infrared at that point had only been in a couple of years. But he's oh. he's right. His, his grandfather, in fact, this was something that Walt himself insisted upon that Every day, you know, when the guests came in, they saw a shooting gallery that looked like it had just opened. So it meant every night they had to repaint all of the targets. So where they'd been, the paint had been chipped off by the lead pellets. And again, that's lead pellets. There were folks who walked by the Frontierland shooting gallery would occasionally get winged uh, off of a ricochet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Again, different time, Len. You know, the lawyers. You know, it's just sort of like, yeah, we should probably do something about that. So, uh, <laughs> a netting or something. Wow, how about that? Yeah, but, wow. but thank you, Cameron. What a great story. All right. And uh, in terms of surveys, mm-hmm. we got an interesting one from Jarrett who visited Six Flags. And this is one of the best surveys we've seen in terms of measuring what safety precautions guests want mm-hmm. in a theme park in order to feel safe visiting. So some of these questions that we've seen from Six Flags in this upcoming survey, I don't think Disney or Universal has done. And so uh, so I want to highlight a few of them. So the first question that I thought was interesting was this from Six Flags. Compared to last week, do you think the coronavirus situation has 
gotten much better, gotten better, stayed about the same, gotten worse, or gotten much worse. Wow. And then a similar question. Next week, do you think that the coronavirus situation will be much better, better, about the same, worse, or much worse? So, Jim, what are they, what are they trying to, to measure here? I've never seen a real-time attempt to get the national zeitgeist. Yeah. How safe do you feel at this moment in regard to the coronavirus? Because, again, it's going to affect your long-time decision-making about is it going to be safe to take the family to a theme park next week, next month, next year? Yeah. Oy. It's like they're measuring the national mood. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the, uh, the next question after that is how likely do you think it is that you will have or get COVID-19 within the next six months. Oh. I've already had it. I have it now. It's likely I will get it in the next six months. It's possible I'll get it, or it's unlikely I'll get it in the next six months. Large rocks are falling from the sky. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Oh. The other one, and this again, this also measures uh, customer attitudes. Mm -hmm. I like this question. So it's multiple choice with about 10, 12 different options. But the question is this, which of the following four ways do you think people are at most risk of getting COVID-19? And you're supposed to choose four. Mm -hmm. And the, the options are, so one, two, three, four, five, six, mm -hmm. seven. Mm -hmm. There's 15 options. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to select four. One of them is uh, visiting a theme park, eating at a McDonald's, playing golf, attending a food festival, seeing a movie at a theater, visiting a water park, eating a cheesecake factory, hanging out in a hospital emergency room, People have different hobbies than me, Jim. Uh, going to the beach, visiting a family fun center, visiting a grocery store, going to a party where you know everyone, going to a live concert, getting coffee at Starbucks, or watching TV at home. Mm -hmm. So watching TV at home is probably there as a uh, as a, a dummy indicator just to see who clicks it. Yeah. You can, Kinda. yeah. But the other ones, they're trying to figure out uh, where you think visiting a theme park or a water park fits in terms of other social activities. I want to highlight the one visiting a food festival, which I don't know if you've been following how Knott's is managing to get itself open. Yeah. Food festivals everywhere. Yeah. The other set of questions were related to what other countries are doing about COVID. So here's, and I've never seen this question from Disney or Universal. So this is why I thought it was interesting. Many businesses in Europe now require everyone to show proof that they have tested COVID-free within the last seven days before they're allowed to visit. People can get the proof they need by stopping by any pharmacy, where for just $5, you can take a quick test. And if you test COVID-free, you get a card that is valid for the next seven days. What do you think about this program? I love it. I like it. It's okay. I dislike it or I hate it. And then a follow-up question. Would you like to see businesses in the United States do the same kind of program? Definitely, probably, probably not. Definitely not. And we've talked about this mm -hmm. on the show, Jim, right? So we think that for cruising in particular, mm -hmm. some form of rapid testing where you have to show documented proof of a negative test within X number of hours of boarding the ship is probably going to be a requirement mm -hmm. to get in, right? So the question that they're asking here is, what do you think about that for theme parks? In theory, I like this, but if you listen to the folks at the CDC and they talk about the fact that this has been coming up a lot lately because of the number of people who are looking ahead to Thanksgiving and thinking about, well, do I travel? Do I get together with my family? And it's like, right. you know, I can get a COVID test. And the pushback is like, okay, the COVID test tells you that you're free of COVID at 
that exact moment. And again, it's interesting here that they're talking about this tells you for the next seven days, it's your get out of jail free card. Right. But, you know, the notion is it doesn't mean that you won't get COVID tomorrow or the day after or, you know. Again. No, it's not. I mean, they're, and they're trying to balance, I think, the need to have some sort of peace of mind mm-hmm. that you've, you've tested. Yeah. No, I get that. Versus the, the inconvenience of like saying you've got to do it within 24 hours, right? Because then that, that, that gets tough. No, no, no. I agree. You got to be reasonable at this point. But even as a fail safe, this isn't exactly a fail safe, but. No, no, it's not. But it's, it's so the uh, the next set of questions are related to this. Uh, it says, mm-hmm. if many businesses in the United States required these test results in order to enter, would you just go ahead and get a test every week, or would you only get the test right before you planned to do something specific that required it? And the answers are that you can choose from. Yes, I'd probably get one every week. No, I'd get one only when I needed it. I wouldn't visit any venue that required such a test. And then uh, the following question is, if you hadn't already gotten a weekly test, would you be willing to stop by a pharmacy to get a test specifically in preparation to visit an out-of-home attraction like a movie theater, bowling alley, theme park, or restaurant? Yes or no? And then another question, specifically about theme parks then, would you be willing to do that just to visit the theme park? Yes or no? Uh, Last two questions. Uh, If and when a coronavirus vaccine becomes available, Will you get vaccinated? Definitely, probably, probably not, and definitely not. And then how soon do you think uh, you'll get the coronavirus vaccine? So if you say yes, uh, you'll definitely get one or probably. Your options are right away or wait two months or more, making sure there are no side effects that make people sick. Super interesting, Six Flags. To provide some context here, though, Len, 2001, we stepped through a doorway into a world where we weren't able to get on planes without taking off shoes or, or taking off our belts. Yep. And we got used to it. So the notion of, okay, yep. so I got to go to my local CVS and have a swab stuck up my nose because I really, really, really want to go see Black Widow in a theater. We can get used to a lot of things. I just kind of hope we don't have to. I wonder if there's enough pharmacy capacity to do that. Because you're talking about 330 million Americans, like let's say, you know, a quarter of them want to get tested every week. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people going to CVS every Monday, yeah. you know, or every weekend or whatever. Yeah. yeah but again, just to circle back to the airports, think it, think about all the security stations, or for that matter, the redesign of Disney Hollywood Studios to create this new space that would allow for moving quickly through security and bag check after all of these years. And then as soon as that's done, yeah. oh, COVID-19, we have to create a new station in the middle of all of this to check people. Before they <laughs> yeah. We'll just throw tents up in front of that. Yeah, There we go. That's a good point. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about how River Country will influence Disney's Reflections DVC Resort. Today when we release the show, marks the 19th anniversary of when River Country closed. So, sad event, but uh, not unlike things we've seen going on in Walt Disney World lately. This closure came just seven and a half weeks after the towers fell and, and the plane flew into the Pentagon. And part of the reason it closed is it was a time that people were frightened of getting on planes, which meant that the Walt Disney Resort had to make a lot of hard decisions. So temporarily shuttering Walt Disney World's first water park, the smallest of the three on site, only made sense at the time. And the official company line was, when the guests come back in sufficient number, we'll then reopen the park. But then 
April of 2002. People were like, we're back. And is this going to reopen as well? Not yet. And then the next three and a half years, you know, especially people who are staying at Fort Wilderness, the effect, well, when are you going to open, reopen the water park? And and Fort Wilderness, by the way, this month celebrates the 49th anniversary of its opening. And after 9-11, the Wilderness Resort Campground was one of the only resorts that just hit its stride. You know, it's just one of these things, because obviously most of the guests who, who stay at that place don't fly in. They, they either drive down with their RVs or they haul their trailer or they have the tent in their car. So it wasn't really a concern of, of folks who love to stay at Fort Wilderness that, okay, it's, it's a time when it's scary to get on a plane. Big deal. I'm driving down. We jump ahead now to January of 2005. Okay. Here's the, the company getting ready for Disneyland's 50th anniversary. And very quietly during this period, they meant, okay, Fort Wilderness's uh, River Country is never reopening. There's a lot of reasons for that, Len. You know, first and foremost, this six-acre complex was always too small. Okay. It only had five water slides, and the marquee attraction was uh, what hoop and holler hollow, a 260-foot, uh, 2,000-gallon-a-minute water slide that would then dump you out into the old swimming hole. And, you know, that at top capacity, they could take only 5,000 guests a day. Wow. This was the rise of the resistance of its day, that if you didn't get up— <laughs> Early in the morning and race over to River Country. Typically, especially during the summer, if you showed up at nine o'clock in the morning on a, a busy summer season, there was already that A frame out front to the effect of, sorry, River Country is already at capacity. Try again another day. <laughs> It is. It's like it's like we're walking into uh, the studios at ten o two. Jeffrey Katzenberg comes over to run the studio side of Disney. So that holiday season, he takes his family down to Walt Disney World to sort of familiarize himself with this side of the business. And he's down there for five days with his entire family. And the those five days, he can never get into River Country, and he he keeps getting up earlier wow. and earlier. And it's again, this is a VP of the company. It's like, no, I'm sorry, you can't get in. You didn't get here in time. And so he actually goes back to California and basically climbs up one side of Eisner and down the other. It's like, I couldn't get into river country and you have to do something about this. So <laughs> my family was temporarily inconvenienced. We must build a water park. And that's it. Exactly. <laughs> the very first shareholders meeting that Eisner presides over February of 85, he announces we're building Splash, a brand new water park for the Walt Disney World Resort. And at that time, this iteration of the project was built around the, well, Disney hadn't had a hit in years, all right? But the uh, March previous, uh, March 1984, they released Ron Howard's Splash. And Iser initially was insistent, it's like, all right, we only have one hit film right now. So you, you themed this water park around that. And eventually they were able to persuade him away for this. But this is how Splash Mountain wound up with that name. Tony Baxter oh, yeah. initially proposed that it be called Zippity Doodah River Run. And Eisner was like, no, we still, I got to find some place to name after Splash. And in fact, at that point, there was even supposed to be a cameo by Madison in the attraction. You know, she was supposed to, animatronic was supposed to sort of bubble up out of the water and smile at you and go back down. Uh, again, alongside Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit. And that would have been an easy fit. Sure. But this continued Right up until the mid-1980s. In fact, you can go and look at early concept paintings for Hollywood Boulevard 
at MGM. And there's literally a painting of Tom Hanks, Alan Bauer character standing on Hollywood Boulevard in front of the uh, Disney Film Festival Theater. Uh, and he's holding Madison, you know, as a, as a mermaid in his arm on Hollywood Boulevard, which would have been a very interesting walk around character, don't you think? <laughs> Talk about biceps for miles, like Gaston. Wow. To get back to River Country, what's really interesting about Typhoon Lagoon is it was honestly designed to land as the anti-River Country. Because if you're a guest staying on property and you went on, mm -hmm. on to River Country, I mean, first, you got to make your way over to the parking lot at the top of Fort Wilderness. And then you got to get on a... You got to find the bus stop and then you got to get in a bus and then you trundle all the way down to the waterfront area. And then you got to get off the bus and you got to walk like a quarter of a mile past Pioneer Hall before you finally get to the water park. And then at the end of the day, you have to repeat this in the opposite direction, wearing a wet yeah. bathing suit. So that's why, for example, when the Imagineers were designing Typhoon Lagoon, it's like, okay, we have an access road that comes straight off of uh, Buena Vista Boulevard, and we, it dumps you into a huge parking lot. We have multiple bus stations, so you can immediately get into this park. More to the point, you can walk from your car and bang, there's the entrance. And then just 50 feet beyond that is the giant wave pool and the lazy river. It's a great point because when you want to leave the water parks, mm -hmm. especially in a hurry, like if it's, you know, if it starts to thunder and lightning mm -hmm. as it does mm -hmm. by law every afternoon <laughs> in Florida, it's really easy to get in and out of the parks. Mm -hmm. I will say that I've never had trouble getting into or out of a Disney water park. If we jump ahead, Typhoon Lagoon opens June of 89, April of 80, uh, 95, we get Blizzard Beach, which Typhoon Lagoon was 10 times the size of River Country. It was 56 acres. Blizzard Beach actually goes 66 acres. And wow. with the idea that, yes, people want to do, you know, typically go to the water park and want to do something else, but something in the immediate vicinity, that's why they built Winter Summerland right next door to a literally yeah. short walk away. But, of course, the big difference between Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon or River Country was the closed water system. That was heavily filtering. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, River Country had this unique water filtering system. They actually took water out of Bay Lake, brought it in through an underground pipe, heavily filtered it, and then pumped it into this massive pool that had a water-filled barrier along the edge of Bay Lake. And, and, then, and in order to keep Bay Lake from flowing into River Country, they actually kept the water level in River Country higher than the water level on Bay Lake. So the water could flow out of River Country into Bay Lake, but not in the opposite direction. Oh, interesting. Was a great idea on paper, Len. Didn't quite work as Disney had planned. And freshwater lakes in Florida have, have this issue, especially during the warm summer months, of swimmers getting an amoebic affection, uh, infection. Excuse me. And this is actually one of the, the, the reasons that Disney quietly over the years shut down the public bathing areas that they'd set up at the Poly, at the Contemporary, even at, at Fort Wilderness. Remember how you used to be able to go down to the shores of Bay Lake and, and go out and swim. And because of this amoebic infection threat, they shut that down. Unfortunately, August of 1980, there was an 11-year-old boy who uh, had been swimming at River Country, and his family, by the way, swore this was the only place that their son had swum 
during the entire Walt Disney World vacation. He comes down with this amoebic infection. It get evidently traveled through his nose into his nervous system and the family went home to New York and the poor kid died. The same month, three other kids in Florida died of the same amoebic infection, which is when Disney began exploring the idea of like, okay, maybe it's time to change River Country's overall setup. Maybe, you know, it's time to do a, a closed water system with a, a, with heavy filtration. So studies are done, and the consensus that comes back at the time, it, given the overall expense, plus the hassles of working in, in this particular corner of property, it was going to be far easy, easier to build an entirely new water park, which was what the resort did just nine months later. Uh, all right, so it's going to take X million dollars to do this filtration. Yeah. But we're still only going to be able to handle, you know, 5,000 people a day. Why don't we just build a water park somewhere else? Okay, that makes sense. There's a, an episode that's available to view. In fact, it's just been posted these uh, within the past month or two. It's the Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World. This originally aired on NBC's Wonderful World of Disney in November of 1977, Len. So this episode was shot in the late spring, early summer of 77. So just one year after River Country opened, and you look at it now, and it's just sort of like, you could sit there and tick off the, the various OSHA issues. <laughs> no, yeah, so, like, uh, no barrier here, no barrier there. Oh, Go careening, careening off the water slide there. It's lawsuit palooza, Len. The funniest part of this whole thing is when they opened River Country back in uh, June of 1977, the very first person to go down Hooten Holler Hollow was Susan Ford the daughter of the then president of the United States, Gerald Ford? Oh. Dick Nunes, the then president of Walt Disney Attractions, two weeks earlier, comes over and he, you know, he's so excited about this six-acre six addition to Fort Wilderness. He, he wants to be the first exec at the company to try out this water slide. And so he comes down this 260-foot slide. And the problem is they've got the banking on the walls wrong. And so Dick comes around one corner and literally goes up out of the flume and then lands on the rocks. Oops. <laughs> For a moment, the, the guy at the edges is standing at the bottom. We killed the boss. Oh, well, it was a good run while well, it lasted. Eventually, Dick sort of emerges on the side of the slide, bloodied, and, you know, it just says, well, we probably need to raise the lip here, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. So there have been dozens of urban explorers who snuck in to the defunct river country and, and took photos and that sort of thing during the, again, remember that this thing had been closed for what, 17 years at that point. But we get word that their bulldozers are in there, that are demolishing everything. And we had seen these plans that bubbled up for a waterfront lodge that Disney was going to do. And it's not until October of 2018 that we, we finally get the announcement that Reflections, a Disney lakeside lodge, is going to be constructed. And so got over more than 900 rooms with the idea that this is the sort of the aspirational resort that if you're somebody whose family came and stayed at Fort Wilderness and stayed in tents or stayed in the cabins on site there, this was the next step for you. It's like, ooh, this is where you want to stay because look at that amazing view of the water because it's, you know, and it's built right on the site of, of River Country. In yeah. fact, we're going to have a pool that at least does a nod to River Country and which confuses me because um, remember the, the how the 
Meadows Swimming Pool was opened at, at Fort Wilderness, I want to say. Fort Wilderness. Yeah, 2014, 2013, something in that time frame. Yeah. They actually supposedly harvested the water tower that used to stand in the middle of River Country. In fact, this is the thing you often see with the River Country name emblazoned on it, but they actually moved it over to the Meadow Swimming Pool. And Really? So there's a little piece of River Country that survives. But yeah, now we're in this this weird space where after announcing this resort that's going to be a celebration of Walt Disney's lifelong love and respect of nature, uh, it was, yep. was kind of interesting in August of this year to watch the PR for Reflections effectively dim. Yeah. Nobody said the project is canceled. But no one's talking about it either. Yeah, yeah that's it exactly. So, and nothing's nothing's uh, nothing's moved over there in months, yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. They have done the site prep, and 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 face it, it's a, an amazing piece of real estate. And when COVID nineteen is effectively in the rearview mirror, and when you know we're seeing strong returns of folks who previously vacationed at Walt Disney World, and again, remember that's the key. With the, yeah. this particular DVC, it's supposed to be an aspirational resort for anyone who ever stayed at Fort, you know, Fort Wilderness Campground. But again, remember, this was announced as opening in, in 2022, and that ain't happening. No, my guess is it's probably pushed back at least a full year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, that is that the pool is how supposedly uh, Reflections is going to tie itself to a river country, but you can bet that this pool will have some of the most heavily filtered water on the planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just. Yeah, no chance it's coming from uh, from Bailey. There we go. So, Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including new in-park audio and a special series on the Disneyland Circus. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me at lenatterrainplans.com on next week's regular show, How Disney Rethemed Dixie Landings to Port Orleans French Quarter. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be presenting recipes such as sweet potato biscuits, seafood gumbo, and pecan pie with bourbon, all from Tony Tipton Martin's classic cookbook, Jubilee, on select days in November as part of the Ogden Restaurant Week. Their motto is, this year is different in a beautiful downtown Ogden, Utah. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.